The views, information, and opinions expressed in this podcast are solely those of the speakers and do not represent Holding Short Media nor any organization that the speakers have been, currently are, or will be affiliated with. Hello, and welcome to the Holding Short Podcast. I'm your host, Laura Matheson. Today, we're joined by Tanya Yearwood. Tanya Yearwood was born in Toronto, Ontario, to natives of Trinidad and Tobago. She worked in both Canada and the United States in a variety of careers, finance, fitness, postal service, and automotive, until she found herself in aviation and aerospace within the IT space. Working in the industry allowed Tanya to have a newfound appreciation for air transportation, but quickly learned that diversity in aviation and aerospace was non-existent compared to her previous professional experiences. Seeing the need for change, Tanya founded the Black Aviation Professionals Network, BAPN, a nonprofit organization to help her fellow colleagues and the next generation of leaders and aviators in the sector. BAPN promotes aviation, showcases that the industry is more than just pilots and flight attendants, and appeals to the Black community, showing the variety of careers available, and then further supplying the resources for them to thrive. There are aviation professionals and professionals in aviation. Together, they are BAPN. I truly could not be more excited to have her join me today. Welcome, Tanya. Hi, thank you for having me, Laura. Looking forward to chatting. I'm so excited that you were able to find the time to be part of our show. You've been on our list for a while now, so I'm really glad that we've been able to make it work. Yeah, no, thank you so much for reaching out. Um, You guys are doing a really great job, and I'm glad I can be a part of it. Well, we will jump right on in then. How did you get your start in aviation? Oh, kind of by fluke, uh, to be honest with you. Um, I was you know, I had a pretty good job. I'd been there for almost seven years and I just felt uh, the urge to uh, do something new and do something different. And uh, I was doing some research and looking for organizations and, you know, something that was aligned with my values and that was interesting. And I stumbled upon, you know, aviation and I always challenge everyone to name a more interesting industry than aviation. And you know, a couple interviews or a few interviews later, I, you know, was, I won the role and I've been here um, and loving every minute of it so far. So finding aviation ultimately sort of came to you as a fluke, but did you ever have any signs maybe growing up or along the way that aviation was something you were interested in, or was it not even on your radar at all? Um, I mean, I've always, ever since I was young, my parents always took us traveling. That was, something that was ingrained um, in our family, you know, regardless of our age, my parents believed in packing us all up and going on a plane and going wherever, you know, it, even if it was driving somewhere. So traveling was always something that was very important to um, my family. Um, I've always been fascinated with just being in new environments. Um, and I love just being in the air. There's something so um comforting and freeing being you know 30,000 feet in the air and not having any control like there's nothing I can do if anything happens and I know for some people that causes some anxiety but mm-hmm. on the flip side it's just such a freeing moment that you know you're just there to enjoy it and embrace that I'm up in the sky right now like it's I don't know it's nothing that I ever thought that I would envision myself um, working in you know growing up you only thought it was pilots and flight attendants. 
Um, and I was a woman, so of course I couldn't be a pilot, you know, growing up. So, and I was interested in being a flight attendant. So that, that was as far as I, I knew growing up. So um, always love travel, always love the industry, but just never thought that I would never imagine that I can be, you know, working within it. I would say you touched on a point of the lack of control that passengers have sometimes or what they experience this feeling as a lack of control during flights. And although that for most people can be a point of uh, anxiety or stress that for you was, well, I don't have to worry about anything. I just get to be in this moment and enjoy it and just be fully present in it. I, I, I've never seen that sort of spin on it before, but I think that I'm going to try and use that take when I talk to uh, anxious travelers now. Yeah, yeah, it's definitely, it's definitely freeing and just enjoying it. Now, how do you think your background in finance, fitness, the postal service and automotive industries influence the way you've approached aviation? That's a really good question. And I've been thinking about this and I think how I was prepared for the industry was that my career prior to coming here, I saw all of the organization, all of the organizations that I've worked for and with um, having such a um, di- diverse employee and talent pool and where you didn't really think about diversity everywhere I work because everybody was diverse. Like it never was, um, it never was a topic of conversation. You know, I don't recall, you know, diversity, I guess, branches or teams or that worked there, but it was, you know, everything was diverse. So coming into the industry where, you know, I wouldn't say it's at one company, I would say the industry at large um, is not diverse. And I think by working in all of those organizations and having those careers working in the States and working in Canada, I knew that it was possible for an organization or an industry to be more diverse. Um, and I think that's what prepared that I knew that there was something different outside of what I was seeing and outside of what I was now a part of. Um, and I think that just gave me um, the courage to really try to see that change in the industry. So I think that's, I think that's what they prepared me for is to know that it was, to know that it's different. It could be different and I've seen it different. So hopefully bringing some of that knowledge you know, into the industry to add a little bit more color it was, you know, as a goal of mine. No, and I, I came to aviation as a straight white woman and all the privilege that comes with that. And when I came to aviation, I noticed, wow, there's very few other women not initially clocking. And I'm, if I'm honest, not initially clocking, wow, there's very few people of color. There's very few black people there's very few indigenous people there's very few openly lgbtq plus people in aviation i was only seeing it through the lens of gender rather and even then at the time being young and just with how aviation can be not always the most open and diverse seeing it through a very binary of there's not a ton of women and a lot of men and not really seeing just how the, i guess that lens of diversity was the one that i only saw for probably my first year or year and a half in aviation and then realizing no it's just just a ton of white people (laughs) (laughs) it's not that like I'm I'm here and I I I had to always laugh when I was filling out any 
forms for things in aviation. It's like, are you part of a visible minority? And I think, well, technically by your criteria as being a straight white woman, yeah, I, I am. And I never liked that because I didn't think that I should count as a visible minority, but in aviation I was. And you're, it's an excellent point that outside of aviation and other industries, that is not the case. The, 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 rather the lack of diversity in aviation, although for me initially it was just gender, it goes well beyond and it's a very homogeneously straight white dude industry. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And I think that, I think just knowing that, you know, when you say, you know, better, you do better. It's like, I knew better. So I knew the challenges that people were communicating to me and the frustrations and what they felt were blockers were only in this industry. And there's so much more to aviation um, and the world at large. Um, But, you know, I think because I knew and I've experienced the change and diversity was never a topic. It just was, you know, I I knew that, you know, change change could happen. Maybe not in my lifetime, but I knew I can plant the seed. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Now, turning back towards your current role within aviation, you work as a senior IT project manager. What are some of the duties that this role entails? Um, so, I mean, pretty simply put, I lead and manage um, any projects um, that have uh, you know, technical, <laughs> technical requirements, um, you know, from inception to implementation, ensuring that we meet the mission and objectives of the organization, um, but ultimately is, you know, if we're implementing any new technology, you know, I would be managing a project um, like that. If we're changing, enhancing um, technology, that is something that I'd be managing and making sure that seeing through and, um, you know, we stay on task, on time and on budget. All of those being equally as important. (laughs) Yeah. Now I currently work in an IT context and it's very particular to my organization and the needs of our team members uh, and our clients. But I can imagine that the IT at an airline, the infrastructure that's needed there is very different than what you might find at another organization outside of aviation. Yes, yeah, I think I think one of the interesting things working on not just in IT, but in aviation, that the industry is so fluid. Things are constantly changing. And technology itself is constantly evolving. I think, you know, our generation has seen, you know, the the evolution of IT, you know, over the years, (laughs) Um, you know, and especially over COVID, um, how much IT and the, the evolution has really transformed our everyday lives. So that cup of aviation, um, I mean, it's, it's, constantly exciting it's constantly changing um and you're always having to learn new things and make sure that you're staying um current with what the need is right so definitely nothing like i've worked with before um but to your point um it is very different in aviation like you're working with governing bodies multiple airports everybody has different rules and they have their own governing bodies and how do you find and define a seamless approach and make everyone happy and compliant? Like there, there are a lot of moving parts, um, you know, just in aviation and, you know, for IT to support the success of that. So 
definitely eye-opening. Because I can imagine some of the, I guess some of the IT uh, programs that would have been put in place would be related to crew scheduling, uh, maintenance schedules for aircraft, uh, gosh, even weather. Uh, I mean, there's the weather radar that you do see, but even sort of the company's own take on that, what is the company's specific limitations? So I can imagine it gets very tech, like very hyper-technical, but because you're dealing with people, planes, and weather, things that change all the time, yeah. there's going to always have to be that element of variability that you have to factor into uh, building these systems and then actually applying them. Right. And you can build something and you have all of the requirements and just before implementation, you know, something changes or rule changes. And now you need to go back in the back end and try and figure out how to change and still make it compliant. Like it's, it's ever changing, but it, it keeps you on your toes. Mm-hmm. Because you, you wouldn't have it where, I don't imagine that you'd have it where the operations, uh, I guess, and I'm trying to think of the word here. Maybe it's sort of the uh, procedures related to any given company that they would uh, consult with the IT department on. We'd like to put this rule. How is that going to impact your systems? It's oftentimes being told this rule has been implemented. <laughs> we need to see it in the systems right, now. Right, right. And even a lot of the rules are, are mandated, right? Like mm-hmm. Transport Canada will mandate and say, hey, we need, you know, pilots need to have a specific duty time and these are all of the rules that they need to follow. So now we need to go and change all of our systems to your point in crew scheduling and um, planning and commercial that affects how we, you know, plan our flights um, and the blocks that we sell to customers. So I mean, it's not as simple as someone saying, we're going to make a small change here. There is a rippling effect to, I mean, in aviation, everything is tied to everything. Like mm-hmm. there's, there's, you can't work in silos uh, at all. We're all very connected. You can't fly a plane with only one wing, right? So that's mm-hmm. ultimately how, how it works, right? Everyone has to work together to get that plane off the ground. I've referred to aviation as uh, one of the biggest group projects that is just sort of constantly in play. But even the idea of uh, when a rule is changed, whether that's a company policy or if it's uh, mandated uh, legislation from Transport Canada or NAV Canada, uh, is there a certain amount of time that uh, I guess IT and operations needs to be given as a heads up that, hey, this rule is coming down the line or is it just one day we'll see how it goes? No, I mean, I I remember a project that I worked on a couple of years ago and it was, um, we had an idea it was coming. We just didn't know when it was going to be put when we had to work with it. And I think like on a Tuesday, we got on a call and then they said, okay, it's coming into play as of today. And we're like, what? And they're like, oh, and you have 24 months to get it done. And we're like, what? So, and no matter how much, you know, you try to see if there's any flexibility or wiggle room with that deadline, you know, there isn't, it's a hard deadline. So no, um, <laughs> there a lot of times, you know, timelines are given to you. And then, you know, there are times where you do have the opportunity to say, you know, in order for this, in order for you to get everything that you want, in order for it to be effective and efficient, um, you know, this is how much time we need. Um, and of course, as a, as a PM, those are the scenarios that you would prefer, but it doesn't always happen. So you just kind of have to roll with it and adapt and make sure it works regardless of the constraints that you're given. Now, what are the most challenging and rewarding aspects of this role? Most challenging, I I don't think I I would say there's anything challenging about this role. I would say the most 
challenging, you know, being in this role in this industry. I think we kind of touched on it before is that um, IT is constantly evolving and then aviation is constantly evolving. So I think just making sure that you are staying current and understanding that today's truth might be tomorrow's lie. So, you know, I really, really, really have to make sure that I am comfortable with, um, you know, last minute changes. Um, but it, again, it just keeps me on my toes. And at the same point, I would say that's also the most rewarding because I am constantly learning. Like yeah. I always, I'm always learning something. And I always, I mean, one of the things I, I always tell people, I will be that person that will always ask a million and one questions. I just love to know things and learn things. And I may not need to apply that concept today, but down the road, I promise you, I can, I can apply something that you said to something else that I might be working on. So um, I would say the fluid environment of aviation and then coupled with IT would be the most challenging, trying to stay on top of everything. Uh, but again, it's, it's the most rewarding. Like, mm-hmm. I don't know, try, try and find two different, try, try and couple two other, I guess, industries together that would be more interesting than aviation and IT. Like, I don't, I don't know. They're all constantly changing, right? Like there are so many things evolving right now as we speak and might not come out until two years from now, but it's in play today, right? So. Mm-hmm. No, the only other example I could even think of just on the spot would maybe be sort of medicinal law as in mm-hmm. medicine's always changing. The law is always changing. Yeah. That would be another great avenue for someone that is a lifelong learner like yourself that wants to always find new opportunities to grow and have those in the workplace. And aviation is, I would say, one of the best industries for those that want to be lifelong learners. There's always something new to learn and always something to review. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. And there's always a place to go and fly too. Like, you know, <laughs> it's you not all see- work. Yeah. <laughs> you can still experience the world um, and new places. So, yeah. Now, what training would you suggest for someone wanting to work within this role within aviation? Um, I think you said it'd be a lifelong learner. I don't think, I mean, IT, again, it's very vast depending on if you want to do, you want to be in a web developer, you want to work in, you know, UI, uh, QA, but um, I think being a lifelong learner is key to any role in IT um, in order for you to be successful. And I think even being a PM in IT, um, it's important that not necessarily that you are a SME or you're this, you know, the subject matter expert in a particular um, element within your project, but as long as you have some awareness and some understanding of what you're working on, you'll be able to facilitate you know, that project um, far more effectively than someone that you know, only wants to focus on their tasks. So um, I think the major, major, major um, characteristic is be a lifelong learner and be afraid to be wrong tomorrow, even if you're right today, so. So you touched on something earlier related to how aviation cannot function if we're all just siloed together. And I think part of going back to your, the, this idea of being a lifelong learner is understanding how all the silos, mm-hmm. let's just say brush up against each other and actually that it's not silos, but a big web and how everything is all interconnected. Yeah, absolutely. And that definitely helps facilitate your conversations and involving the right people um, and making sure you're not missing and 
making any gaps that's going to cause your project to fail. Because the worst thing, you know, a PM can do is manage a project, you know, well, um, but not include all the people that need to be included. So, you know, are you really managing that project really well? Um, and then you're ready for implementation and you forget a really crucial team that needed to be involved and now it's blocking your success. So, um, you know, ask the right questions. Uh, don't be afraid to not know something. It's better to speak up, but, you know, always, always approach everything as a student um, and, you know, take the information that you learn and try and apply it to make, you know, your work a little bit better. Now, how did or did not having a mentor impact your start in aviation? Um, I've never been one for mentors, to be honest. Um, I think, you know, growing up, my family always in my household was anything I wanted to do, as long as I worked hard at it, um, there really shouldn't be anything stopping me or preventing me from doing that. So Entering aviation, I, again, like it was, it was more of a, I'll call it a fluke, but um, not really. I do feel that my purpose was to come into aviation. I really feel that, you know, God led me because I had a really good job and I had many weeks of vacation and, I, you know, I was doing, I was doing well. I had my career path mapped out. I knew what I was doing, where I was going. There really wasn't any reason for me to leave. And I think having, you know, the family that I had, um, you know, just believing in my gut and um, making that change, even though I really didn't have a reason other than I really feel like God is telling me I need to make this change. And I just followed it. And to be honest, I I don't say I wasn't very happy, but I, I wasn't, I was questioning like why, why am I going to leave a very diverse organization, a comfortable job? And then I'm now in, you know, an industry where I literally am the only me. Like it was the most uncomfortable. It was, it was, a, it was a huge shock and a huge adjustment. It really took, you know, several months for me to kind of just sit with it and say, okay, there's a reason why you're here. Um, and I just, I stuck it out you know, and I'm sticking it out, but it was, it was tough coming in. So yeah, just believing in myself and believing to follow, you know, my heart, my gut um, is kind of what led me and what helped me enter the industry and stay, stay in the industry. And I think you've touched on sort of, as long as you worked hard, your family was supportive of whatever it was that you wanted to pursue, but watching their loved one go from a stable job that has <laughs> all these benefits and uh, lots of vacation time to an industry that's completely new to them that is not known for always being the most stable where yep. you don't always have a lot of consecutive days off uh, in terms of vacation time that that could have been a very hard transition to watch even if they were in full support of you working hard to make that transition happen absolutely and you know as much as I you know although everyone knows you know my daddy's girl um he was probably the most um, frustrated, I'd say, with my decision to leave. You know, he was very frustrated. He really couldn't understand. And I really couldn't explain it other than I just feel like this is what I'm supposed to be doing. You know, and I think sometimes when God really wants to make 
a change in your life. And as much as you fight it, he will start making your current environment very uncomfortable. And that's what started happening is that I was just feeling uncomfortable in the comfort of my, my job and my role at that time. And it was almost like I had to leave. And, um, you know, it was, it was tough. It was really tough for him to understand me leaving, you know, something that was, I would say a sure thing, um, you know, to, to walk into something and then being in it and being like, oh my gosh, why am I here? <laughs> this is so uncomfortable. You know, it was, it was, that first year was tough. It was very tough. And then of course, loving you enough throughout that whole process to go, mm-hmm. okay, she's made this big leap. It's maybe not going the way she wants it to go, but as, as her parent, my job is to just make sure that she's healthy and happy and do my best to support her. Well, hopefully it works its way towards being a healthier, happier scenario. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. (laughs) Now you are the founder and president of the black aviation professionals network. And we've talked about how initially coming to the aviation industry, you were sort of shocked at the lack of diversity that you saw throughout the industry as a whole. So I guess I'm sort of asking, how did you go from that moment of realization of, wow, this is a very homogenous and not very diverse group to actually creating BAPIN and what work does the organization do? Yeah, so this uh, organization really just came through um, or came to be out of a series of frustrating moments. Um, I think I really wanted to make sure that um, I did my best to um, not feel the way that I was feeling in terms of being alone or that there weren't um, any organizations around that would be supportive about the Black experience within aviation. So there were a number of, um, I would say, uh, situations where I just felt that um, some actions were being performative Um, not the right things were being said or being done and really taking in the black experience in aviation. um, We're not taken seriously. So um, I founded it um, really to kind of change the the change, the narrative of what it meant um, to be in a diverse aviation industry. Uh, So within my role, um, you know, I really, I always tell everyone that volunteers and works with me is that I'm a facilitator. I am leaning on the expertise of um, everyone that's been working within this industry for many years and have trained and have a passion for it. And together um, I help facilitate um, experiences and initiatives and conversations that really would challenge um, the conversations about being black in aviation. Now, what surprised you most about establishing BAPIN? Was it the fact that even years later, you were still facing the same resistance and having the same questions uh, that you had pre-pandemic or was it something different altogether? Um, I would say the most surprising thing establishing BAPIN was um, that I I was still receiving resistance to discuss the Black experience and how we can make... um, how we can make a difference in the industry, especially after the social awakening. Um, I really thought the conversations uh, would come easier. I really thought the the action um, of a number of organizations would have a little bit more passion and understanding. 
Um, but I think that really surprised me was that I was still met with similar resistance to pre-pandemic. Um, but I mean, ultimately that what that's what BAPN's here for, right? We're here to push the needle. So um, I'm willing to do the work um, along with the rest of my team uh, to really make those changes and have those discussions. And I hope over time, there isn't as much resistance to further diversifying um, and developing the Black experience in aviation. Now, because BAPN came to be during a time when, as you sort of said a lot of organizations wanted to be seen as being inclusive and diverse. Mm -hmm. Did you ever feel like there was, I guess, a, a, a response from the industry at large that was sort of excited to see BAPN come to be because they could maybe use it to somehow prove that they were diverse or was it making people uncomfortable that for maybe not the first time, but rather currently, Black people in aviation were declaring and taking up the space that they've always should have. I guess I'm wondering what was the industry response to seeing BAPN come to be? Yeah, so I think I experienced uh, both actually. There were a number of organizations that were very excited and grateful that um, the initiative now um, had been creative and that created, sorry, and that there was a network that they would be able to tap into if they are looking to promote the black experience within the organization. But then on the flip side, there were a number of organizations that really just wanted to say, hey, you know, BAPN is here, we're working closely with them, we're so proud of them, but not really doing the work in order to really amplify the voices um, of Black talent within their organization or what would be required to further develop uh, Black talent in aviation within BAPN. So I did receive both, um, but again, you know, not, not everything comes easy. So, um, you know, really appreciative of those organizations that really um, took the initiative and uh, really did the work to, uh, further implement diversity, not only within their organization, but really help elevate BAPN uh, to be successful and tap into the Black community. And the rest of my team will continue to work with those organizations that need to learn how to incorporate, you know, BAPN within their organization and within their culture. Now, as someone who identifies as white, how can I support BAPN without my presence as a white person maybe I guess, co-opting the movement that it is supposed to be? Yeah, I mean, I think what's, what you guys are doing already with, um, you know, reaching out to BAPN and featuring uh, BAPN on your platforms. Um, I think one of the challenges within the Black community is really building that network. So I think leveraging the network and the access that our allies have is key. Uh, for BAPN to really start making um, incremental changes within the community. So, um, you know, continue engaging, continue sharing, but also allowing us to have the opportunity to leverage, you know, the networks and the privileges um, that we didn't necessarily have access to um, would really, really show that, um, you're in this to see us, you know, win and be successful and be on the equal playing field as, as everyone else.
On the Bathin website, there is an article submitted by one of your members titled, Bathin is a movement, not a moment. How do you hope the movement of highlighting Black professionals in aviation impacts the industry at large? Yeah, I think the, the movement is showing that we are here um, and persevere, perseverance and you know, resilience is um, you know, something that is shown, you know, my opinion, best within our community. Um, aside from highlighting Black talent in aviation, um, what that does is it begins to plant the seed in young Black youth that it is possible. And that's where you start seeing the, the, the movement that it, it surpasses that one post that you may see on Instagram or LinkedIn, but it really starts creating, um, breaking generational curses and the socioeconomic, you know, disadvantages that the Black community has had to face over the years. And, you know, with every post, with every person, every uh, child that sees that post, it begins to start breaking um, a lot of the, the barriers and ceilings that has been placed on the Black community. And through highlighting and planting the seed and then cultivating and providing support throughout the aviation journey for a young Black youth, ultimately will create that, that movement and that shift so the aviation industry at large could benefit from diverse talent within their organizations. Um, so yeah, I really love that love that um that blog that was submitted um it really it really showed the passion behind what we were intending to do and we were more than a fad we were more than just you know social media reposting black faces but we really are focused on making changes um, in our community and allowing the aviation industry to benefit from those changes Now, who is someone in aviation you admire and why? <laughs> Myself. <laughs> I know it's weird. Um, I don't know if there's anyone in particular in aviation, but I think I suffered from imposter syndrome a lot in this industry. And I think um, coming in and being able to develop uh, this nonprofit and meet so many amazing people like yourself, um, I think... I think it just goes to show, you know, sometimes you really just need to walk out on faith. Um, and I, I would never call myself an aviation professional. I always say that I'm a professional in aviation. Um, but I mean, I don't, yeah, I would say I'm very, I'm, now that I look back, I would say I'm very proud of myself for stepping out on faith um, and being able to create something for know for generations to come no we we had another guest recently that when asked who she admired said the same thing and sort of turned it into we don't so don't get me wrong there's lots of people I look up to but I've been the one that had to get up and put in the work and make yeah. things happen that people helped me along the way but a lot of it had to come from within and she sort of used a, a quote from Snoop Dogg actually as sort of kind of a mantra to herself which is like I want to thank me I want to yeah. thank me for putting in the work believing in myself for not taking days off and I, I I completely understand that oftentimes we don't give ourselves enough credit and yeah I think a big part uh 
I guess sort of owning who you are and being comfortable with yourself is kind of being an inspiration or at least someone that you like at the end of the day. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I love it. Now, what advice would you have for someone considering a career in aviation? Yeah, I would say don't get comfortable. I mean, that goes for your work, like career-wise, it's constantly changing, but also aviation is gives you the gift of travel ultimately, right? Um, so don't get so comfortable in your current environment that you don't want to leave it and explore different cultures, different people, different perspectives. Um, aviation really can add to, you know, a work-life balance that would help with your mental sanity, right? If you, if you use it properly. So don't get too comfortable. Things are always going to change and, you know, force yourself to be in changing environments as well. So you continue to learn and grow. Now, would you please share with me a favorite memory or highlight from any point in your aviation career so far? I think, and I think I've shared this one before, but I think the most memorable is being able to share um, what aviation has done for me in terms of travel. Um, my dad's last birthday here on earth, um, he, I would say he's prob probably one of the, the largest detractors when I left my last job, but it was in that moment where he got to experience, you know, what this new job had given and it happened to be on his birthday and happened to be in business class. First time he'd ever flown um, in business class on his birthday. And I think that was, that was the most beautiful moment. Cause it was really, you know, just knowing that uh, he was able to see, I guess, the fruits and he was able to benefit from it before he, he passed away. Um, that will always, that would always stick in my mind. I'm just looking at a picture of him now, but yeah, I think, um, yeah, I think full circle, you know, he was, he wasn't happy with me leaving. Um, but ultimately he was able to benefit from that choice that I made. And, you know, I never really did anything without uh, my dad's support or consent. And I think that was, you know, one of the few things, well, actually, no, there's probably quite a few things, but I think those were probably, that was probably one of the major life decisions that I made um, where I was just, I'm doing it. It doesn't make sense. I'm doing it. And he wasn't on board and then turning around and I, you know, was able to share the experience of flying business class on his birthday. So that will forever stay in my mind. Now, how pleased he would have been to have gotten to be part of that moment with you and get to experience sort of the fruits, as you said, of the hard work and the uncertainty and have it all culminate together in first class. What a, what a beautiful gift to be able to give someone. Yeah. Yeah. He's, uh, he's still my cheerleader, even though he's not here. So a cheerleader like that is forever. Yeah, for sure. Now, before we wrap up today, where can you be found on social media? Yeah, I, I mean, I definitely think one of the ways to uh, support Batman and stay engaged is um, following us on our social media. So whether it be on Instagram at the.bapin, B-A-P-N, or on our LinkedIn, I mean, we're always pushing out content information, ways to get involved. We are on Slack. That's a forum 
a messaging tool where, you know, anybody can go in that looking for support if you have any questions about something that you're doing with flight training, or even if there are some job postings um, that you want to share, um, using our, our Slack platform is a great tool. And we're really trying to, to push that platform so people can have almost instant um, live engagement with other BAPM members rather than waiting for like our in-person and virtual events. We will be sure to have all those links in the episode description for our listeners. Tanya Yearwood, thank you so much for joining me today. It was a pleasure. Thank you so much, Laura, for having me. This was great. The Holding Short Podcast is a production of Holding Short Media. The show is written and hosted by me, Laura Matheson, and edited and produced by Cameron Bokoff. Our music is an original composition of Riley Searle. If you would like to learn more about the show, the Holding Short podcast is on Instagram and Facebook at Holding Short Media. Please subscribe, rate, and review us.